to kindergarten ready, what really matters. Kindergarten Ready is a podcast about child development in the first five years. Here, we'll try to uncover what really matters and just what it means to be kindergarten ready. Greetings all, I'm Dr. Jean Ouellette, researcher, director of the Language Literacy Learning Lab, and professor of psychology at Mount Allison University. This time around on Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, we turn the table, so to speak, and listen into a different podcast where I was the guest. The subject, what science has to say about teaching kids to read. So it's a little role reversal this week as I play the role of the podcast guest, not the host. And we do another deep dive, this time into the science of reading. Okay, full disclosure, this is a bit of a cheat this week. Depending on what you're listening to this podcast on, you may have already noticed a switch in recording quality partway through that intro even. I'm recording here in my university office this morning, not my home office where I normally record, where it's set up for recording quality and consistency. The reason... Well, it's been another few weeks where I just haven't been able to dedicate the time needed to put together a complete new episode in time to meet my own self-imposed deadlines of getting a show out every second Wednesday morning. Last episode was a week late, and you know what, I really don't want to get into the pattern of regularly delaying by a week or more, and I certainly don't want to put the show on hiatus, but it is difficult with the fall semester in full swing here at university combined with a few other contracts I have on the go right now. So rather than delay another week or two, I thought... Why not make an impromptu episode here and share part of an interview I did last year on someone else's podcast, all about the science of reading and brain words, the book I co-authored with Richard Gentry. Granted, I realize this isn't necessarily all about kindergarten readiness, and it's not focused on the first five years, but I am hoping that you, as the audience, find the topic interesting. I mean, it is. It's darn right fascinating, if I don't say so myself. And quite timely, too, as there continues to be a push for the science of reading to play a bigger and bigger role in how we teach kids to read. I'll put the link to the full interview in the show notes. I'm only going to play about half of it here today. The voice you will hear asking the questions is that of Hugh Dunn, head of the Pacific Literacy Consortium, housed in the Curriculum Research and Development Group, College of Education at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Oh, Hawaii... How I miss you. Actually, listening to this made me a little melancholy. With the current state of the world and international travel, I wonder when I'll ever get back to Hawaii. Truly, one of my absolute favorite places on this planet. I've been fortunate to have been able to visit all the Hawaiian islands over the last few years. Oh man, do I miss them. Hey, University of Hawaii, you know I can coach varsity soccer and be a professor at the same time, right? Just saying. Uh, I guess no aloha for me. So while I go wallow in my own self-pity, I hope you enjoy today's content. And hopefully I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new show. Unless I win the lottery and and move to Kailua. Cheers, everyone. Let's talk about your book. Okay. Uh, I have it right in front of me. Beautiful cover. Uh, You co-authored the book with your colleague Richard Gentry. Mm Mm-hmm. And the title of it is Brain Words, How the Science of Reading Informs Teaching, published by Stenhouse. What motivated both of you to to write this book? I've always wanted to write a book. 
and I've always wanted to write a book geared towards teachers or teachers in training because I just see this these worlds this research world and this teaching world that they don't come together so my own personal goal was I want I really want to try to unite the the teaching and the research worlds so I've been thinking about this for for over 10 years um, and some of the research I do is based on early spelling, uh, which Richard Gentry was one of the real first people to, to study that way back in the 80s. And so when I had a couple of publications on spelling and reading, he contacted me. We'd never met. And, and we, we had back and forth emails for almost a year. And, and in that process, we kind of realized we both had this idea for, for a book that was almost the exact same idea of trying to disseminate the science and the research without going into the details. Some, some other researchers have tried to do books along this line over the past number of years, but we found that they got bogged down in the research details that, that perhaps the practitioners, the teachers, the frontline workers don't really want to have to sort through. So it starts with, with a lot of theory um, and, and what the science says, but then to, to make really readable applications. So what can teachers do with that knowledge? Yeah, and I think both of you did a really good job. It's really laid out well. It's uh, eight chapters. What do you hope that teachers, parents, or other stakeholders take away from this book? Uh, you know, I, I think the big message is just for people to be aware that there is a scientific study of, of reading, and that is based on the scientific method, right, which, which is based on objectivity uh, and data. Uh, it, it seems that, that there's still a pushback against science. There's almost a conspiracy theory kind of mindset among some people that it's, it's science and, and research doesn't belong in education. And so I think the big message is there's knowledge here to be gained from looking at what science tells us. Uh, and then I, th I think the secondary uh, offshoot of that is that we can base our teaching and what we do with, with children from early childhood through elementary, middle school uh, and beyond. If we based it upon theory and evidence-supported practice, we, we can improve literacy outcomes. Wonderful. You know, one of our recent pep talk guests was Dr. Joanna Christodoulou, a developmental cognitive neuroscientist who conducts research on the brain basis of reading using neuroimaging. In your book, you also discuss the neurological reading circuit and the findings from brain imaging research. What does the science of reading research tell us about building a dictionary in the brain? Right, yeah, you know, what we tried to do in the book, we started with, with I think, probably the densest chapter on just developmental reading theory. And then we followed that with the chapter on the neuroimaging research. And the point we want to make is that the two align incredibly well. And what we know as children learn how to read and write, the brain changes. Uh, and we see all four lobes of the human brain are involved in, in reading. And what develops are these interconnections between the parts of the brain. Right? So we talk about building a dictionary in the brain. Uh, that's basically storing words. So when we learn oral language, we learn how to pronounce words, and we learn what those words mean. Uh, and when we become literate, we learn what those words look like in print. So we're able to read them when we encounter them, and we're able to write them if we want to put uh, words onto paper. So the neuroimaging research and the developmental research, really, they couldn't map onto each other you know, more perfectly than they do. The most amazing thing about the reading brain is that it involves all four lobes of the human brain. Right? So we have the frontal lobe at the very front of our brain, we have the occipital lobe that processes visual information at the back of our brain, and we have uh, temporal and parietal lobes in the middle that have to do with auditory and sensory input. And reading involves all four of those, and it integrates all four of those lobes together. So it's a highly integrated uh, neurological process. So when we look at 
at learning how to read. It encompasses skills in the frontal lobe of sounding speech sounds and speech production, the temporal and parietal lobes of where, where sound representations are stored. So it's really hearing based, but of course it's visual, right? We see print, right? So we have, we have to bring in um, the more posterior parts of the brain. Uh, and the really amazing thing with, with brain study is the neuroscientists have identified a special area called the word form area towards the back of the brain. And it's not there when we first learn how to read. It's the actual process of learning the alphabet and developing phonological awareness skills and basic decoding skills that makes that visual word form area become specialized for reading. And that's where those those representations are, are stored. So when we learn a, a word that we so-called sight word that we recognize immediately and are able to spell, that representation gets stored in this part of the brain. But that part of the brain isn't there when we first are learning how to read. So by having instruction and phonological awareness and alphabet knowledge, uh, decoding and early spelling, that's what lays those pathways for us to be able to store these brain-based representations. So contrary to what some people believe, reading is not a natural process or an instinctively acquired skill? No, I mean, that's sort of one of the original um, arguments behind whole language many, many years ago was that written language is language, like oral language. And so we learn oral language naturally through immersion, then that's how we would learn written language. And we know that's not true. It might be true for precocious readers. Some people think maybe a quarter, maybe even a third of readers can basically teach themselves how to read through immersion. But most children need explicit instruction. What does developmental and cognitive research tell us about teaching phonological awareness, decoding, encoding, and teaching sight words? It tells us a great deal. Right? So, so we know probably of any area of literacy research that there's been the most attention over the past few decades on phonological awareness. We know that that's a critically important step on the pathway to literacy, but we know it's not in itself sufficient. But we know it's a developmental milestone and it's a really important skill to have. Uh, we know decoding, the ability to sound out words, to sound out letters is also very important, but it's not the only skill involved in reading. Encoding, to be able to take take words and sounds uh, in our mind and, and put them into print is also really important. And, and so are obviously sight words. We as skilled readers seem to recognize words by sight, right? And I think what's often misinterpreted is people look at that and they say, well, we're adults, we seem to read by sight, we'll just have children memorize words. So I think that the real take home message from, from scientific study of reading is that those skills all, all that you mentioned are all integrated. Right, that we learn phonological awareness and that helps us develop decoding and the decoding helps us develop encoding or spelling uh, and that helps us develop the sight words. So it's not that we learn some words by memorizing them and some words by sounding them out, but really we, we learn how to read words by integrating all these different skills. Uh, and we actually make the point in the book that, that sight words, even that term, uh, we just use that term to refer to any word that you can recognize really quickly when you read. And really, shouldn't all words be sight words, right? But that doesn't mean we sit down with flashcards and memorize them. We still have to link the phonological awareness, the decoding and the encoding, and we get all that together. That's how you develop sight words. So it's not, should we teach some words as sight words, some words as de decodable words? It's that we follow the same progression and eventually all those words become sight words, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I, I like the way that you broke that down. Which leads us to the next question. Why do some current teaching philosophies and practices fall short when it comes to developing readers? Oh, I, I think there's many reasons. I, I think the debates in, in reading instruction have gone on for so long that the people seem to be emotionally attached to, to certain approaches. 
and the, the whole premise of the scientific study of reading is it's based on the scientific method, which is based on objectivity. It's also self-correcting. You know, the theories change as, as evidence is collected. Um, but yet people become very rooted in their core beliefs of how to teach reading. Right? And so I think some people be, may become defensive if they're hearing suggestions that go against what, what they've previously been told. Um, and teachers are constantly being told to do things differently. Right? One program comes in and then I don't know about here in Hawaii, but right. I, I can tell you in Canada, it's the government regulates the curriculum, and every time the government changes, the curriculum changes. Um, and so, the proverbial pendulum yeah. swinging back and, and so forth. And so, I think right. there's some cynicism that, that's in the system. Um, uh, and and what, what happens is people develop, I think, reading programs that are based really on narrow views. Uh, and, and really, the key to the reading brain is that it, it integrates all the different skills that are involved in reading. Right? So people argue about decoding versus sight words. Well, the reading brain, those are connected. They're essentially the same thing, right? We start decoding and that word with decoding practice becomes a sight word. And even a highly irregular word, if we partially decode it, it helps us link the letters to the sounds and that becomes a sight word. Whether or not we should be teaching you know, just the decoding or just the sight word approach, uh, it's, it's a combination and one stems from the other. So I think the current approaches seem to fall short, I think partly because of this emotional investment that, that people seem to have. Um, and I also think programs tend to be really narrowly defined because they want to associate with one camp or the other uh, instead of recognizing that we need to, the key is we need to integrate all the subskills together. Hmm, that makes sense. Your book, Brain Words, goes into spelling quite a bit. How does spelling and reading share the same brain processes? And spelling, that spelling-reading connection is really what what brought Richard Gentry and I together is we both had this interest in Richard for, for much longer period of time than, than I have about the connections between spelling and reading. Most uh, cognitive and linguistic uh, models of, of language in the brain posit that, that spelling and reading are using the same representations, right? So it's often been said, you might be able to read a word, but you might not be able to spell it. But if you can spell a word, you can read it. You're not gonna have a word you can spell and then see it and not be able to read it. So it's the idea that if you can spell it, you have a stronger representation, and those representations are gonna be available to you as, as a reader and writer for your lifetime. And that's what you call the spell to read approach. Right, exactly. So we often look at a lot of, especially go back to the idea of sight words, a lot of times um, children are given a list of words and those are their sight words, so they're supposed to just memorize them, right? So they have a visual and they're supposed to memorize what that word looks like, right? But when you spell, if you think about it, you don't have the visual, you start with the auditory, you think about what the sound, uh, what the word, sorry, sounds like, and you try to put that into print. So you create the visual, but through a, a real problem-solving process. We call the book Brain Words because that, that develops what we call the brain word, a really strong representation of what the word sounds like, um, ideally what it, what it means, but also what it looks like in terms of its spelling. I like that you said it's a problem-solving process. So how does this approach, the spell-to-read approach, differ from the commonly known approach that has been used known as invented spelling? Right. Uh, it, it's based very much on invented spelling. I think the, the notion of invented spelling most people see as just letting children invent their own spellings, right? And, and that scares people because they think, oh, we're going we're to create a generation of children who don't know conventional spellings. So what we do is we look at invented spelling, which, which is a, a phenomenal the ability to invent spellings in kindergarten very much predicts how well they learn how to read in grade two and grade three. So what we do is we look at invented spelling as a starting point. 
So we'll we'll take that very child-directed process where a child has a thought or a word and puts it into print, and then we take what they produce and with feedback and guidance, guide them to the correct spelling. So we don't accept that as the correct spelling. We recognize that as a you know an excellent attempt at representing what they have in mind into print, but then we show them the proper way. So we start with what they produce uh, and then use that as the teaching tools to bring them to the correct spelling. And if you want to take it to a more formal approach, then we would actually provide the words, right? So you say, okay, if we want to do, you know, say at families in a phonics lesson, like cat, hat, mat, rather than give them children worksheets with, with those words or flashcards or something, we would have them, you know, how do you think you spell the word cat? Just try your best. You know, I always say it's not a test. It's just see what each student does. And then based upon what they put on paper, you can go and, and, and show them the correct spelling. And then we have a discussion. You know, we say it's a, it's a metalinguistic process, which means we, we draw their conscious awareness to the print. So we can say, okay, you, you hear a k, you know, maybe a child puts a k. Because, well, that's right. It could be a k, but this particular word has a, a, a c. And then we learn at. Well, that's actually two letters, a and t together will make that at. You can see if some children put a whole bunch of extra vowels or if they put, you know, too many consonants or some children just put a bunch of X's, you know where they're at developmentally, and then you can shape that okay. into the correct spelling. And then once they have the ability to spell it, they can read it. So it sounds like there's quite a bit of guided instruction mm -hmm. and explicit instruction yeah, involved. Yeah, absolutely. I like to say it's a conversation about print. When we present this to teachers, and, and we've done, both Richard and I have done professional development with teachers about this approach, we always say it's not a step-by-step, -step, you know, something you have to look into a, a manual to figure out. It's you, you look at what the child produces and you talk about it. And like we'll that. go, what's the beginning of the word? What do you hear? What did you put? What's in the middle of the word? What's at the end? And then if it's a word that is so-called a regular word or a word that might deviate from a, a typical spelling pattern, then that's a good time to talk about it. Right? You can think, oh, you know, so is S-O and it makes this O sound, but do is D-O, but it has a different sound even though it's the, still the letter O. And then you can have a conversation. You know, English is a wacky language. You know, this one we just have to remember sounds like this. You know, again, rather than just giving them a list to take home to memorize. Hmm. I like that you said it's a conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that it's a, so, such a strict pedantic process, mm -hmm. but you're having that conversation with the child. And we find in, in our experience, again, both the research where we developed the, the approach and in teachers that, that, that we have follow up with who've attended some of our sessions, uh, Richard and I, we find that the feedback we get from the teachers is incredibly positive. They say that the kids love it. It's much more engaging than sitting down with a worksheet, you know, with a whole bunch of AT stems. You yeah, know, where you it have seems to like that, how letter. you described it. It yeah. seems like a very involved and engaging process. And you can do it individually, you can do it in small groups, but you can also do it with the whole class. At what grade level should teachers begin using the spell-to-read approach? The great thing, because it's based upon this idea of invented spelling, um, it, it can be done, you know, preschool, really. One of the most important early skills, of course, is learning the alphabet. And if you don't know the alphabet, it's pretty hard to start with spelling. But you can actually learn the alphabet through spelling. So uh, we certainly advocate uh, kindergarten. Because it's not a worksheet-based approach, because it's interactive, it's child-directed, involves a lot of dialogue about language, um, there's absolutely no reason why kindergarten children can't be and shouldn't be writing these, you know, trying to write words, and then what they produce is the starting point for teaching. So, I mean, it's a long-winded way to say I think it's applicable across all ages. I think it's most readily and most powerful for that kindergarten to grade three in really establishing the, those representations for literacy. Yeah, but it I sounds think like a real critical age. Yeah, but I think it's something that can be applied across the whole, uh, you know, wide, the whole educational yeah. system for different purposes. Right.
In a nutshell, please unpack for us how building brain words might look like in a kindergarten classroom or in a first grade classroom. Sure. So, so we, we often talk, uh, and, and we mentioned in the book, a five-step approach. And the, the first step of that is to hear the word. So it's just auditory stimulation. Uh, phonological awareness, of course, is an auditory skill where we just pay attention to how words sound. And the second step would be to say the word. So we want to bring in speech production. Um, and But we also want to link to meaning. Um, so what we would do in a kindergarten or grade one classroom is, is introduce some words. Uh, we talk about the words. And there's no print. Right? And, and so it's not looking at printed memorizing. It's listening to words and, and thinking about what they might look like in print. So we start just auditory. We might do some rhyming activities, some phonological awareness activities, talking about words that start with the same sound or, or counting uh, the different sounds on our fingers. So all auditory skills, we talk about what the words mean. We'd have the students say the words. So it's hear it, say it before any print is introduced. So it's just an oral language introduction. And then we talk about step three is to spell it. So again, they haven't seen the word yet. So it's not a memorization, it's not visual memorization. We say, okay, how do you think this word is spelled? Just do your best. And we see what the students come up with. And then we correct that spelling and have them recopy it. And then we have them read it. So step four is to read it, right? So we've gone from hear it, say it, spell it, read it. And then the final step we say is use it. So now we bring in some sentences. Now we might have some leveled texts that have those words in it. Um, or we give target sentences for the children to, to write and read back themselves. So we start with listening. We bring in speech production. We use spelling to really uh, help the child connect the, what they hear to what the word's going to look like. And then they read that spelling, the corrected version of it, and then use that word in connected meaningful text. Oh, that's great. And right. this is something that even parents can work yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Hear it, say it, spell it, read it. And use it. And use it. Yeah. Great. Well, Gene, Dr. Willett, thank you for being a guest on the Pacific Education Pulse podcast. Our listeners and I appreciate your sharing your time, personal experiences, and expertise, all for the purpose of improving teaching and learning. You've been listening to Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, a podcast about child development in the first five years. Kindergarten Ready is a production of the Language Literacy Learning Lab. For more information about the show, check us out at www.kindergartenreadywhatreallymatters.com. Kindergarten Ready!